0: turn in the Smaller Forms and Prayers book, page 13. Page 13, Baptism of Infants, Form 2. The same question and answers as uh, Form 1, but uh, a slightly different focus in the introduction and as we've celebrated uh, baptism, and now this is the second time recently, so we'll come to Form 2 for this Sunday morning, page 13. The second form for the baptism of infants, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we celebrate holy baptism, let us first hear our Lord Jesus Christ's institution of this sacrament. After he had risen victoriously from the grave, Jesus said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In obedience to this command, the church has always baptized believers and their children. Let us hear the promises of God that are confirmed in baptism. The Lord made this great promise to Abraham I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Generations later, though Israel was unfaithful to God's covenant with them, God renewed his promise through the prophet. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son our Lord Jesus Christ, to give pardon and peace through the blood of the cross, the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. After Jesus had risen from the dead, the apostles proclaimed, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Anticipating the fulfillment of God's promises, Paul assures us, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. These are the unfailing promises of our Lord to those who are baptized. Baptized. Here also the teaching of Scripture concerning the sacrament of baptism. The water of baptism signifies the washing away of our sin by the blood of Christ and the renewal of our lives by the Holy Spirit. It also signifies that we are buried with Christ. From this we learn that our sin has been condemned by God, that we are to hate it, and that we must consider ourselves as having died to it. Moreover, the water of baptism signifies that we are raised with Christ. From this we learn that we are to walk with Christ in newness of life. All this tells us that God has adopted us as his children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Thus, in baptism, God seals the promises he gave when he made his covenant of grace with us, calling us and our children to put our trust for life and death in Christ our Savior, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him in obedience and love. God also graciously includes our children in his covenant, and all his promises are for them as well. Jesus demonstrated this when he embraced little children and blessed them. The Apostle Paul said that the children of believers are holy. So just as the children of the Old Covenant received the sign of circumcision, our children in the New Covenant are given the sign of baptism. We are therefore always to teach our little ones that they have been set apart by baptism as God's own children. And because of that, they are to repent of their sins and embrace God's promise of forgiveness in Christ by faith. Let us Now, pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you will never destroy us in our sin as you once did with the flood upon the world, but save us as you saved believing Noah and his family and spare us as you spared the Israelites who walked safely through the Red Sea. We pray that Jesus Christ, who went down to the Jordan River and came up to receive the Holy Spirit, who sank deep into death and was raised up as the Lord of life, will always keep us and our little ones, including little Nathan Karsten, in the grip of his hand. We pray, O Holy Father, that your spirit will separate us from sin and openly mark us with a faith that can stand the light of day and endure the dark of night. Prepare us now, O Lord, to respond with glad hope to your promises so that we and all entrusted to our care may drink deeply from the well of living water. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Then I'll ask you to stand, Fred and Angela. Since you, Fred and Angela, have presented Nathan for holy baptism, you are asked to answer the following questions sincerely before God and his people. Do you acknowledge that our children are? who are conceived and born in sin and are subject to the misery that sin brings, even the condemnation of God, are sanctified in Christ and so as members of his church ought to be baptized. Do you acknowledge that the teaching of the Old and New Testament summarized in the Apostles' Creed and taught in this Christian church is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? Do you sincerely promise to do all that you can to teach Nathan? Karsten, and to have him taught this doctrine of salvation. Our Lord said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Nathan Tucker Karsten, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And a question for the congregation Do you, the people of the Lord, Promise to receive Nathan Karsten in love, to pray for him, to help to care for his instruction in the faith, and to encourage and sustain him in the fellowship of believers. We do, God helping us. Let us then come again in a prayer of thanks. Our Lord, our gracious God, Forever faithful to your promises, we thank you for assuring us again in the sacrament of baptism that you forgive us and receive us as your children in Christ. Grant wisdom and love to Fred and Angela and to all of us as we carry out the vows just made. We pray that you will guide little Nathan Karsten and all of our little ones throughout their lives. Enable all of them to respond in faith to the gospel. Fill them with your spirit and make their lives fruitful. Upon them in their hour of trial, uphold them. And when Christ returns, let them celebrate with all the people of God your greatness and goodness forever in the joy of your new covenant. Amen. People of God, let us turn then to the Word of God. Proverbs uh, chapter 1, our text for this morning. Lord willing, we will come to uh, the book of of Ruth and work start to finish uh, through that little book in the coming weeks leading up to Christmas morning. Uh, For this morning, we uh, conclude our little two-part, two two sermons in the beginning verses of Proverbs chapter 1. Let us begin our reading at verse 7, and we'll read to verse 19, and we're focusing on on verses 8 to 19, but verses 8 and 9 are clearly linked back to verse 7 and and what comes before. So we begin our reading, Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 7, reading to verse 19. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So far the reading. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ. Highway robbery is not so common today. After all, one car is likely to soon be followed by another, and each car travels so fast. Highway robbery today would be very difficult to pull off, and if the deed was done, there would likely be enough witnesses to make escape from punishment very difficult. But in the days of ancient Israel, highway robbery was a real problem. It was a real problem for those who traveled, and it was a real temptation for those who sought easy money. Most people traveled by foot, and roads could be lonely. A band of thieves in the days of Solomon might steal money and spill blood, and in human terms, they might reasonably expect to get away with those things. So today, there is still too much thievery and murder, even if the particular form of highway robbery is less common. But this book, this Proverbs, these opening words of Proverbs, they're not just about highway robbery. They are about the fear of the Lord standing in contrast with the fear of of man, and our theme as we consider this, uh, perhaps with a, with a word to our our new um, our new snowplowers who weren't told the time of our service. Our uh, our theme our theme as we consider this, stepping back and thinking about its place in Proverbs one, is to see the vivid contrast between godly influence and evil influence. And first we'll look at peace passed on, verses 8 and 9, and then war against others, verses 10 to 14, and then war against self, verses 15 to 19. Well, brothers and sisters, our text begins with the instruction given to a son. Now, it is true uh, that some of the challenges, especially in these first chapters of Proverbs, are especially directed or have a, a special application to young men. But it is it is a word that is to all of us. And if there was any doubt about that, when the author of Hebrews quotes from Proverbs chapter three in Hebrews twelve verse five, the author of Hebrews says to the New Testament congregation, brothers and sisters altogether, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you all as sons? so it is a word from a father to a son. And some of the words, especially in the first chapters, have special application to that. But brothers and sisters, this is for all of us, sons or daughters, fathers or mothers. And as this word begins, it is a word, yes, from the father, hear my son, your father's instruction, but the mother is not forgotten. It is uh, the assumption, the implication following verse seven here is that we're talking about a godly father and a godly mother who would pass on instruction in the fear of the Lord. Yes, brothers and sisters, the husband is the head of the home and even uh, Proverbs such as Proverbs 4 verse one emphasize that. It is the voice of the father speaking to the son in Proverbs, but the mother is also an authority in the life of every child. And she also has a special role indeed. While the father, you may have heard me say this before, is the head of the home, the wife, the godly wife is the heart of the home and even can have a special influence beyond what a father is able to give. And so it's something which should be obvious and something that should not be missed that our forms for infant baptism address both the father and the mother. We do, God helping us, unless there is only one faithful parent. And then the answer is, I do, God helping me. And we do live in uh, one of those many evil generations where there is a void of full Christian marriages. And so sometimes the answer must be, I do. God helping me. And that will be either the faithful father or the faithful mother. In the life of Timothy, who almost certainly had an unbelieving father, the emphasis is then upon what? It's upon his mother and his grandmother, his faithful mother Eunice, his faithful grandmother Lois, who from his childhood acquainted him with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3 verse 15. And this is the rich gift. See that. See the teaching. Look again at verses 8 into verse 9. The instruction of the father, the teaching of the mother, that is the graceful garland and the pendant for your neck. There's no actual garland here. There's no actual twisted uh, wreath of victory there's no actual gold pendant here these are pictures of what the instruction and the teaching are godly parents may pass on jewels to their children but that's not what these verses are about the the valuable the valuable inheritance is the instruction and the teaching. A graceful garland, a, a twisted wreath in the ancient world, that was a symbol of victory over enemies. It was a symbol of honor, a high position. The uh, golden pendant, that that uh, adorning jewelry around the neck in Proverbs 3, verses 21 and 22, we see that 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 kind of adornment is a picture of wisdom and of The end of Proverbs 3.22, life for your soul. And so what are these pictures, brothers and sisters? It's victory and honor. It's wisdom and life. That is what godly parents pass on when they pass on instruction and teaching in the fear of the Lord. So, children, do not be disappointed that we're not talking about actual golden necklaces. Do not be disappointed that we're not talking about actual twisted wreaths of victory for the military general to wear after the the enemy has been defeated. No, we're, we're talking about these things as symbols of what godly instruction leads godly children into. Victory and honor, wisdom and life, eternal life and victory in Jesus Christ. This is the gift faithfully received when faithful teaching in the holy fear of the Lord is given and heeded. And parents see this, that the privilege of parenthood is not about what you receive. It's not about I have a position of of authority so I can make somebody submit to me so that I can get things out of this. No, the position of authority as mother and father is a position of giving. It's a position of instructing. It's a position of pouring out. It is a sacrificial love. It is a giving love. And surely faithful parenting for father's and mothers is a sacrificial love. It's a pouring out. It's a giving. Especially let it be a giving of this. Of teaching and instruction in the theme of the fear of the Lord. And so in that way we would pass on victory. The the graceful garland, the twisted wreath, which is ours because of the twisted crown of thorns that the Lord Jesus Christ wore for us. There's victory and peace to pass on in holy instruction in the fear of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, verses 8 and 9 very much continues that central theme statement in Proverbs 1, verse 7. Our next two points deal with the contrast with the fear of the Lord. It deals with evil influence and its consequences and so that takes us to point 2 closely connected with point 3 in this vivid picture of warning the voice of a godly father is against caving in to peer pressure. Notice the temptation of the son comes from non-authority figures. It comes from peers. It comes from those who say, verse 11, come with us. From those who say, the end of verse 14, we will all have one purse. It's this breakdown of authority. No longer do we have a picture of godly authority figures passing on teaching and instruction. Now we have a picture of peers all together enticing one another and encouraging one another in the way of sin. They are, verse 10, sinners if sinners entice you. Now brothers and sisters, we know that uh, heeding the voice of authority is not an absolute rule. Psalm 119 verses 99 and 100 speaks about when a son would know more than his teacher, when a youth would know more than the aged, why? Because he holds to the testimonies of the Lord. And sadly there can be authority figures who do not hold or teach in the name of the fear of the Lord. But as a general rule, scripture again and again speaks about authority figures. God is the ultimate authority and then the fathers and mothers, the shepherds, the also the governing authorities in a different way. But there's all kinds of authority figures in scripture. And many times there is this emphasis on those who are not in authority learning from those who are in authority and let us just pause right here and see that this is not only part of the fabric of the Christian life, but also of healthy society as a whole. Do we not live in one of the evil generations which seeks to cast off authority altogether? Do we not live in a time when the opinion of peers is elevated over the wisdom of the aged but brothers and sisters stepping back again to see the bigger picture we are moving from a picture of the fear of the Lord the fear of the Lord which must be passed on the fear of the Lord which is the graceful garland and the pendant for your neck and we are moving into the fear of man. Uh, Professor Andrew Compton uh, of, of Mid-America, one of my professors, he once summarized Proverbs 1 this way, quote, following the fear of the Lord, we are immediately introduced to its rival fear of man. And fear of man is biblical language for what we call peer pressure. And so this is all uh, part of the, the, the bigger picture of Proverbs 1 where now man, fellow man, sinners say, come with us. And in this case, they don't even pretend that what they're doing is right. They openly admit that they want to ambush the innocent, end of verse 11, without reason. The temptation is driven by sometimes simply the thrill of disobedience. In our relatively rich country, where highway robbery is very difficult, but where shoplifting is something that you can get away with most of the time, statistics show that about one in 10 Americans have shoplifted in their life. And it's also quite clear that for the vast majority of those one in 10 people, there's, there's, no, there's no necessity tied to it. It's, it's, it's for the thrill of the sin. And that's shown not only from the answers that people give when they're caught, it's also uh, from the statistics of what they steal. It is much more common in the United States uh, for there to be theft of luxury items than theft of food. And then there is always a temptation to easy money. Uh, There's a temptation to easy money. Remember highway robbery, you get a gang together In the ancient world, you could reasonably expect to get away with it. It was something very difficult to defend against. It was something very difficult to catch. It was easy money. But we shouldn't picture this as just a band of rabble going through the hills, picking off lonely travelers. These are established members of the society. They're they're looking for easy money to increase their wealth. Look at verse 13. They live in houses, and they're going to use these ill-gotten gains to fill their houses with plunder." Brothers and sisters, what what kinds of temptations do we have here then? We have the thrill of the sin, where it's gonna be difficult to get caught. We have the camaraderie of being part of a group. Come with us, we're gonna do this together. We're We're gonna be buds, we're gonna be friends, we're gonna accept you, and we're gonna do great things together And then there is the temptation to money that comes from cheating the system. And speaking in these more general terms helps us, brothers and sisters, to think about the kinds of temptations we face. Because if we think that this vivid picture of the path of the fear of man is the only sin we need to guard against, we're completely missing the point of Proverbs chapter 1. We'll see that even more clearly as we come to our third point. Fear of man comes in many shapes and sizes. The traps of the fear of man in contrast with the fear of the Lord come in many different forms. And often today, the voice of the gang which encourages ungodliness is really just the voice of of the crowd. It's the voice of the new majority voice in the nation that we live. And So the enticement of sinners today might come from an actual crowd of people. It might come from a digitally connected crowd on a Facebook group or a YouTube page or an Instagram group or whatever it's called. And the traps commonly set today are full of words. It's worldview traps. It comes with words like this, that you can determine what is right. That you have a right to do what you want with your body. That you are not valuable if you're part of oppressor groups like white Christians, etc., etc. Voices that say things like, Jesus is a hippie. Love as we defined it. God who doesn't care what we do. Jesus is love. These are some of the traps of the enticement of sinners that surround us today. And so uh, what, what is it when, when we would cave to the traps of the world? Is it ultimately war against others? Or is it finally war against others? our own selves. Finally, it's war against our own selves. In verse 14, the father says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. And then uh, there is uh, there is this, uh, that's verse 15. And then there's this word play in verse 16. Because look at the word evil in the ESV. For their feet run to evil. And that's, in in the Hebrew, it's a word that can either speak about evil, bad actions, or it can be a word that's translated to speak about bad consequences. And so let's read the verse both ways. For their feet run to bad action. For their feet run to bad consequences. And here, Brothers and sisters, the father wants the son to hear both meanings of that Hebrew word. Because the the evil actions are what we're focused on from eleven to fourteen, but the the bad consequences are what follows, especially in verses sixteen to nineteen. What is it to go in the way of sin? Well, it is to be it is to be a fool concerning the end of of our actions and the consequences of our actions. A bird, verse 17, is smart enough to not fly into a trap set before it. If you're going to trap a bird, how do you do it? You get the net, you get the net, and you sneak up behind the bird and throw it on. If you, birds are so skittish, if you s- sit there in front of them and spread out a net, they're just going to they're just going to fly away. They're going to escape. They're going to get away but what does what does the fear of man do the fear of man suppressing the truth and unrighteousness knows that the way of sin ends in death but walks right into the trap anyway they are more foolish than birds who know not to fly into the net that's the picture of verses 17 and 18. What happens when you live in sin? They set an ambush for their own lives. And this, brothers and sisters, is why Solomon has chosen this picture. It is not because actual murder, spilling blood, ambushing the innocent, and taking money for unjust gain, it is not because those are the only sins we need to guard against. The reason why Solomon has chosen this picture is because those sins are a picture of what any path to sin ends in. That is why Solomon chooses this picture. Because whenever you go in the path of sin, whenever you hear the enticement of sinners, whenever you fall for the traps of the voice of man, you're on the path of sin. And where does sin end? Romans 6:23, the wages of sin is death. That's why Solomon uses this picture. If you read Proverbs 1 and say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a highway robber. I've never spilled someone's blood. And sure, my friends want me to do this or that, or they say this or that about Jesus, but we're not, we're not out ambushing the innocent and spilling blood and So this proverb doesn't this proverb doesn't apply to me. No, no, you're completely missing the point of Proverbs 1. The reason why Solomon uses this picture is to show where sin ends. When you follow the enticement of sinners and fall into their traps, whether it's a trap of actions or or a trap of words speaking against the holy fear of the Lord, what are you doing? You are setting a trap for your own blood. Because the wages of sin is death. And the way of sin, apart from Jesus Christ, is death. No matter what that sin, no matter what enticement you listen to is. That's what Solomon uses this vivid image for. My son, people of God, this is where sin, apart from the fear of the Lord, ends. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Do you hear the love of the Father? It's the old picture. Why why would we speak warnings against sin? Why do we say you are walking in sin? Is it because, should we be motivated by, by hate, by arrogance? Look, I know what sin is, you're a sinner, whatever. No, no, it's... Look, you are walking in sin. You are walking off the cliff of death. And I want to warn you, I do not want you to go into that trap. That's why we speak against sin. That's why we are called to give instruction in the fear of the Lord. Now, praise the Lord that succumbing to the sin of of peer pressure, that even engaging in the sins of theft and murder, that for any sin we commit, there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Let us consider the thief on the cross. Clearly, he has committed the sin of theft. That's the only way that we know to call him. His very name is Thief because we don't know what his name is. He is also a mocker who gave in to peer pressure. The Gospel account of Matthew tells us that both of the thieves joined the voice of the crowd and mocked Christ on the cross. But somewhere, somewhere in those hours on the cross, he repented. And confronted with Christ in the middle. He repented of the sin of mockery. He stopped giving in to peer pressure. And he even began to rebuke the fellow thief he had been mocking with before. So we read in Luke chapter 23, in the gospel account of Luke, beginning in Luke 23, verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanging railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us, but the other. Matthew tells us earlier that he joined in the mockery, but the other, verse 40, rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? The fear of the Lord, or the fear of man. Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, what is the end of any sin? The wages of sin is death. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. His crown of thorns gives us the graceful garland. Here is victory and life here is forgiveness for all our sins as we repent and trust in the only righteous one Amen